Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you were blessed by today's sermon. Well, thank you for having me. I am excited to get to share with you. It is always fun. A little nerve-wracking, Henry said it. And I will say this. I think that, like, Henry gave me an hour to talk to y'all. And so I'm looking at it, but he used a few of my minutes. Now I won't talk for an hour, I promise. I, so I, I'm, just, I'm just keeping tabs on the time. And if uh, I'm grateful to be here, and I'm grateful to get to serve alongside of you, that this is not something that is just me coming to put in a bunch of programs or things. It really is to get to serve and build relationships with you. Um, just a little bit about myself. First, my name is Rip, and my grandmother, it's nothing cool about it. Like, I wasn't, like, in a gang, anything like that. Like, my name is Rip because my grandmother named me that because I slept all the time as a baby. So I was Rip Van Winkle because I was technically the third Ray in our house, and so Rip is stuck. So if you call me by my real name, I probably won't respond to you. may look at you a little dimly, but I, I promise I do have a real name. It's Ray. It's not just Rip, but my grandmother named me that, and it has stuck. Um, Henry said it. Mary Jane, I'm not going to make you stand up, um, but um, this is my wife, Mary Jane, of 26 years, and she is life partner. Partner in ministry has been such a huge blessing to me and very, very grateful, and you'll find that she is definitely the better half. We have three sons, Park, Jacob, and Ben. Park is 24 and is engaged to be married, which is really great because Mary Jane has been outnumbered for a long time now. So she's getting kind of the numbers are building back in her favor. So hopefully the other two will get married and then all of a sudden it'll be kind of this even thing. Um, But I think that Mary Jane still kind of may have the upper hand with Avery. They're both there. But our sons are great um, and, and we love them deeply. I come to you because I get to share with you a little bit about who I am, but also from the scriptures today. Um, and one thing that you have to know about me is that I spent about 28 years on the Young Life staff. So it was through this that much of my philosophy of ministry and the way that we approach ministry has been molded. But a lot of that started as a young high school kid in Navasota, Texas. When a Young Life leader showed up into our world and began to talk about Jesus, and it brought my faith to life, that I saw um, in him something that was incredibly special and knew that that's something that I wanted. And so as I have gone through the last 28 years of my ministry, much of it has been based on this idea of building relationships, that we walk alongside of people. In fact, in Young Life, we learned early on, meet people with the idea that you'll know them for the rest of your life. Every relationship that we enter into, that that's the blessing that we enter into it with. But over the last few years, we've seen changes in the way that the world operates. And so as we've done ministry, it also has become more and more apparent and more and more of a conviction of mine that it's not just about sharing the good news, but it's equipping and teaching people how to walk more deeply in their relationship with Christ. I'm anxious to get to know all of you. I'm excited to be here. I, I am blown away to be a part of a church in a place that's so special. And as I talk through this, I hope that you know that I, I'm excited to be here and get to do this um, because there is a place where we really do have the opportunity to impact the world around us. Each of us have the gifts that God's given us, and it's not just about what happens in here, but really what happens in the world around us, and we are uniquely positioned for that. 
So let's get to the passage of Scripture that we'll share, and it, that we read earlier in Matthew. And I think this is really great. This is a really, this is kind of a hard lesson to teach from. I think that one of the things that we see in this is that we might be able to recognize ourselves possibly in a character in this. And that's not always easy because not all the characters do what they're supposed to. So let's just kind of set the scene. Um, the heat's been turned on. It's in Matthew 25. There's been more confrontations with the religious leaders of the day. There's more going on. It's a little more contentious. They're, and Jesus is moving closer to the cross. We know that he's in Jerusalem. He's gone up to the Mount of Olives. Um, and this is what is the Olivet Discourse, the fifth of his final discourses that he has. And as he's teaching in parables, we come to the parable of the talents. Um, there's some things that you need to know about this that are really important. One, as they're up on the up on the mountain, his disciples begin to ask questions as they are known for, and they begin to ask questions about the end, the coming of the of the end of times, at the end age. What's going to happen? And so, as they go up there, they ask him the questions, and as he tells the parable, um, he says this: "The kingdom of heaven is like." a man going on a journey. The man is symbolically God. Before he goes, he gives three workers different amounts of money denominated by talents. So a talent, weight of silver. We kind of look at it and go, I always was a little bit bothered by the fact that one of the guys only gets one talent. You know, it's not, but we have to recognize and understand what this is. One talent was estimated to be about 20 years worth of labor. I mean, it was a significant amount of money that was given to him. And so as I always heard, I was like, God, that just stinks. That guy didn't get anything, but he's got 20 years worth of wages. So we know that if that's the case, then the one with five has been given a hundred years of wages. These are significant gifts that the, serv- that the servants are being given. And I think that it really, as we look at that, we've all been given talent. It says each to his own ability. And so it's really important to recognize that All of us don't have the same abilities, the same things that are not passed on in the same ways, but what God lavishes on each of us is an extreme amount. We've all been given more than we need to be able to do the work of what God has for us, what our mission is. And so as we move on, um, it goes to a place where he goes away and he's gone for a long time and we know that the first one gets his five talents, and he goes out into the world, and he makes ten talents. And the next does the same with his two, and then we get to the third one, and he buries it in the ground. In the ground. He said, hey, I just don't want to lose it. And I think that the picture that we have to be able to grab a hold of is that we begin, and begin to understand in God's economy, it's more imperative that our success is measured in degrees of effort, and not in a worldly sense of return necessarily, but and bringing glory to ourselves. And the parable of the talent teaches us a few things that are really important for us, about five of them. And the first is this, that we have been given um, success by the product of our work. In the book of Genesis, where does God put Adam and Eve in Genesis? And they are over the garden. They work. They tend the garden. I think as Christians, sometimes we can be, and we're warned about it in Zephaniah, not to be complacent. And in this, there is a sense that we are called to work with what we've been given by the master.
Sometimes we can view our lives and our lives in Christ as a bus ticket to heaven. That's all we got to do. I just need this. And I, I think that God's grace is obviously for salvation is a free gift. But we're also asked to steward what he has given us. The parable of talents teaches us we're supposed to do while we await for the return of the king. We're to work using our talents to glorify God. Serve the common good and further God's kingdom. Biblical success is working diligently in the here and now using all of our talents. God is giving us. The second thing that we learn in this is the parable of the talent teaches that God always gives us everything that we need to do. Again, they were given a ton, a large sum. And yet in that, one of them didn't do anything with it. We're tempted to feel sorry for him because he wasn't given as much, but he did have enough. I think at times we can be pushed to complacency because as we see, well, I'm not a person that can give nearly as much. But the truth of it is, is it is the gifts that God's given you, the talents, if you will, that God's given you to be able to live out his mission. Just as the masters expected the servants to do more than passively um, wait for him, preserve what he entrusted to him, God expects us to generate a return by using our talent towards his ends. The servants were given enough to produce. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, in 10 it says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. But God prepared in advance for us to do. God has given us this. The works that we have are not ones that we have to manufacture. The handiwork of God is already in you. What he's already given you as believers. The parable also teaches us that we're not all created equal, and that's okay. We're all given talents that help us in the proclamation of the gospel. The proclamation that doesn't just happen here, but happens in the world around us. Not everyone will get up here, but all of us have a place. Not everyone um, is a head, but we may be the hands or the feet. We all have a role in the proclamation of the gospel that goes from this place. We're not created equal, but there is a quality that's found in the parable. The first one was given five talents, and he made five talents more, and he enters into the joy of the master. Good, well done. The second one does the same thing. Well, obviously, his return is not near as much, but yet he's rewarded the same way. There is a quality in that we are brought into the joy of the master. The parable teaches us to work for our master, not for ourselves. The money that they earn is not equal, but it's not ours. The gifts and the talents that we've been given are not the talents of our own. They're really talents that God's given us. They're his. So when he comes back, they don't just go, I made a lot of money for myself. They really look at it and they give it back to their master. They return it to him. We also know that the work that we have in front of us is not always easy. That it can be hard. We are in a broken world with fallen people, just like we are around us. But how do we treat that? What's our goal? What is our job? Where do we go? Um, we do it for the Father. And the fifth thing is the parable of the talents is not about salvation or works of righteousness. It's about stewardship. Stewardship with a capital S. Stewardship that 
calls us, what are we doing with the gifts that we've been given, that God's generously given to us? I think that's incredibly important for us to know that these are not ours, but they're for us to use, for us to steward, for us to take care of. Very important. What we hear from the master is that it's up to us. The, the third servant that was given one talent, he didn't so much waste the money. That wasn't the issue. He wasted opportunity. The master didn't want him not to lose. He wanted him to steward what had been given. I feel like as I close up here, I want you to know I'm incredibly excited about what we get to do and about where we are. This is a special place. This is a family that we get to invite others into. Sometimes it's incredibly difficult because we go, I'm not going out and die. Your relationships are where you are. God has providentially put you there. You're not there by accident. The people around you um, are people that need hope and need life. I, I wanted to tell you something that's kind of interesting. In our world today, the largest and fastest growing segment of the religious population is a religion called the nuns. Religious nuns. They don't believe. 20 years ago on Young Life staff, if I took a kid to a Young Life camp, they would respond that they all have some level of belief in a God and Jesus. They have some level of certainty. More and more as time went on, more and more I would hear, I don't really buy it. I don't believe it. So there's opportunity here because there are people in a, a, a segment of our population that don't believe. Secondly, there's people that move into our community that don't have any connection. If you're from a place that's far away and not connected to your family, sometimes Midland can be a hard place to connect. And I think this is a church and this is a community that is easy to be accepted and to be invited into. And what is your role in that as neighbors and as people in our community? to help people find a place that they can connect to, that we build relationships that go beyond, to build relationships that last for a lifetime. And finally, this is a world that is very different than it, it was several years ago, as I grew up, as you grew up, that this is a world that in so many ways it's hard to find hope. We have young kids who have walked around with a computer in their pocket that is the same as what would have filled a room of, with, of computers with years ago. They have access to everything, and not all of it's good. They have access to each other, but they've lost the ability to have one-on-one -on -one personal relationships. Text is not a conversation. I have watched my, literally watched kids take pictures of the top part of their face on Snapchat, and they send it to someone, and then they take someone else into the top part of their face, and they send it to them, and they just keep doing it, sending the top of their face. And I'm like, what are you doing that for? Oh, I'm just thinking about them. I'm just letting them know I'm here. Like, that's not a relationship. We're designed in our DNA, the way we're created, to be in a relationship with the Father and be in a relationship with others. And finally, um, it's in our mission statement of who we are at our church. They were to know Christ and submit our lives to him, to grow in Christ through discipleship, small groups, Bible studies, to worship Christ together, to serve Christ, to share Christ and his kingdom with others. That's who we are. We're called to go. 
go into the world to become Jesus to people that they may have never known or never seen a Jesus in you and in me. We've all been given enough. We've all been lavished upon with great gifts from the Father. But what are we going to do with them? What are you going to do with them? What are your talents? What has God given you? How do you use it? How does it become part of the proclamation of the gospel right where we are? If it's serving inside these walls or serving outside, building relationships so people have the opportunity to see the love and the fullness of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, your words. Thank you for the ways that you have entrusted us to steward what you've given us, the world around us, Father. And I pray that we would be faithful. I pray that we would dive deeper into life with each other, Father, that we would dive deeper into life with the people in our community. Father, that through that you would be seen and the love of Christ would be go out from this place. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.